Sonic, we've gotta be the body to rock it like we're never gonna see it again. We are exploding, the world is gonna know it. We rock it like you're never gonna see us again. Come on over. Everyone, it is 10 p.m. and Pure Gold is live and on the air for this January 10th, 2012. Wild Card Weekend is over and we have a bunch of happy giant fans like DG. Welcome to the show that covers sports life, not. <laughs> Welcome to the show that covers everything and anything <laughs> and tells it like it is. That's the kind of day it's been, folks. My name is Joe Bacino, along with my co-host and tag team partner, David Gomez. Sir, how are you this evening? I'm doing a lot better than you are. You sound, like, terrible, sir. You sound absolutely terrible. Is everything okay? Did you have a maybe a rough morning? Did something not go the way you planned? Yeah, something happened. Um, I don't even want to get into it, to be honest with you. we got such an action-packed show. I'm going to get over it right now. Let's get the contact information. Let's get the show on the road. Folks, as always, if you'd like to be a part of our show, the call-in number, 714-364-364. 4721. Once again, 714-364-4721. You can check out our wonderful website, puregoldpg.com, where you can follow us on Facebook, Joe and I both on our individual Twitter accounts, and, of course, YouTube, which we hardly ever update. JB? (laughs) Thank you, sir. Commercials, sponsors, who needs them, sir? We are here for Pure Gold. We're here for our audience. We're here to tell it like it is. Let's get right into it. Wildcard Weekend is over. And uh, we basically had every single home team win. I thought that one of the away teams would win, but fortunately for all the home teams, they all won, they all moved on, and that includes your football giants. Took care of business in a matter-of-fact way, beating the Falcons, what was it, like 27-2? to 24-2, sir. At least get your facts straight if you're going to talk football. <laughs> well, I lost count. I mean, you know, I lost count after that. Yeah, you know what's interesting. What's interesting, sir? Uh, you 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 touched on it. The Giants absolutely obliterated the Falcons. What I would like to know is, uh, Joe, did somebody forget to tell the Falcons that there was a football game on Sunday? How in the world do you only score two points? I mean, you and yeah. I could probably go up there. I could be the quarterback. You could be the wide receiver. We could connect and score more than two points. So how does a football team that makes it to the playoffs? I mean, you know, <laughs> I I just don't understand it, sir. How does a team? An absolute team. Make it to the playoffs. Sir, this was what we would like to call a complete and utter debacle. And considering that the Falcons were in the playoffs. Uh, Playoffs? We're talking about playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? I mean, sir, the fact of the matter is that the Falcons. uh, And that was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. We threw that game. We gave it away by doing that. We gave them the friggin' game. In my opinion, that sucked. Calm down, Jim Moore. <laughs> we have the coach, the coach of the Atlanta Falcons, <laughs> as as we quote him, sir. I just I, I don't understand. And, and the fact of the matter is that when you look at the game, when you look at what the Giants did, when you look at the way that they played against the Falcons, I mean, nothing sums it up better than this. Bang, 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 bang. Try and stop it. Exactly what the Giants did, as Jim Lampley would say, bang, bang, bang. They laid the smackdown on their candy. Beep. Sir, you know, only only you could find a way to use all our new sound bites within the first four minutes of the show. <laughs> first four minutes. Try uh, uh, together. That's a combined one minute of airtime right there, sir. And it's just <laughs> perfect. I, I figured we had to throw that out there. I mean, since since we really are are sitting here. Ridiculously, as a matter of fact, talking about playoffs. Uh, playoffs? We'll talk about playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? That is one of my favorite clips ever, sir. But when I found, when I heard the rest of that that clip, the Jim Moore Jr. clip, when he lays this, talking about that absolutely sucked and we threw the game. We, I mean, sir, that is classic PG. That is a classic soundbite. It's a type that we love. 
And, I mean, getting back to the game, if I can, for a minute. So it wasn't even a game. The first quarter, it was close. After that, the Giants took over. Sorry, Mike talked about it this week. It's like the Falcons just decided to give up. It's like they stopped showing up for the, the last couple of quarters of the game. How do you come to the playoffs? Playoffs? And do that, sir. I, I don't understand it. You know, if you watch the the first part of the game, um, both teams were pretty much exchanging three and outs, and I thought the Atlanta defense was playing really well. And, again, in, in football and in playoffs, especially the playoffs, yeah, the playoffs, Jim Moore, the playoffs, uh, it's really a swing of momentum. When, when, you know, Atlanta Falcons were faced with a fourth and inches call and decided to go for it, they didn't make it that you know, switch the momentum over to the Giants. And then, you know, not only one time, but two times, sir, the Falcons didn't make it on fourth and inches. And that really did swing the momentum. And I think it took the air out of the defense. The offense probably got into it with the defense on the sidelines. We probably didn't see it because we're watching the game. We're, you know, we're rooting for the New York team. Uh, but I just think that the Falcons just gave up after not making two fourth and inches. And it really took the air out of the team. And they just gave up from there, and the Giants just did what they had to do and win the game. Sir, when you have everything to play for and everything is on the line, how do you give up? I don't care what the score is, unless it's, you know, 24 to nothing in the first quarter or something, you know, first few minutes. I don't understand how you can give up. It just baffles my mind. And, you know, sir, the Giants dominated, which is a great win, an easy win, a laugher. Sir, can you believe it's the Giants' first home playoff game, playoffs, in 12 years? I mean, the first home playoff victory in 12 years. Can you believe that? It's it's hard to believe, but you know what they did in '07. Let's not forget was all on the road. So you know this is their first well, that, home win in 12 said. years. That's what I just said. I don't understand why you felt the need to repeat me, Joe. I mean, I know you had a rough morning, but I mean, come on, enough is enough. You make yourself sick. And, and truthfully, <laughs> 12 years, long time, unbelievable. Since 2000, Kerry Collins, they blew up the Carolina Panthers, I believe. Sir, you know it was a great football weekend for me. Obviously, I'm excited. Obviously, good thing for our uh, talk show. For us to be able to have one of the New York teams, if not both, in the playoffs, so uh, we're excited about that, sir. Now, um, before we get into the rest of the of the games, you know, you can touch on them. I have a couple of notes here I'd like to talk about, but uh, let, let's break this down real quick, sir, if we can. This Sunday, Giants and the Packers. Give us your uh, give us your take on that, sir. So you already want to go ahead to this week and not break down the other games. All right, I'll give you. We'll talk all about the Giants now, and then we'll break down the other games. But, you know, the way I see it as a non-Giant fan, as a person that, you know, is in the New York area, I think that the Giants are really playing with house money at this point, and I think it sounds you, – you might rip before, but I think they are playing for house money. You're going to – you're going into Green Bay. You're going into a place where they play their offense so well, so efficient. Aaron Rodgers is a machine. Let's not forget he's not Brett Favre. This is not 2007 where – Brett Favre is going to throw a jump ball up to your Giants. Um, this is a team that's going to score a lot of points this weekend against your Giants defense, I think. You ready to interrupt yeah, I don't know about that, Joe. I mean, I, I, obviously, you know, we're going to agree to disagree, but I can't but think. First of all, Giants, yeah, they gave up 38 points against the, the Packers, and regardless of what you may say, the Giants should have won that game. Some horrible officiating. Um, you know, Giants could have won. They came close. It proves to me, and I'm not saying this is going to be 2007 all over again, but it proves to me that the Giants are capable of beating the Green Bay Packers. They could put up a 35 spot. That's before Justin Tuck was healthy. That's before OCU Mignola was playing. I mean, sir, with that pass rush, it's going to be tough to to put up, you know, 50 points against against this team. With Tuck, with Jason Pierre-Paul, with OCU Mignola, I think the Giants have an advantage. Yes, the, the Packers are the best team. You know, they're, they're the better team. There's no doubt about that. And I'm not even going to, you know, I'm not even going to front on it. But the Giants are good, sir. The Giants are very good, and the fact that they are on the, uh, the fact that they're on a roll right now at the right time of the year. I mean, it, it's momentum, sir. That they have momentum. They're playing well, and I believe the Giants are going into this game thinking 100% that they can win. They're not going in there saying, "Oh well, season's over. We're playing with house money." No, sir. They're thinking we can upset the Packers. We can go all the way to the NFC Championship game. We can take this to the bank and cash it. So. You're telling me that the Giants are going to go in and beat the Packers in Green Bay. Is that what you're telling me? Absolutely. Um, again, if, if the role were reversed, I know you would not pick against the Jets, so I cannot and will not and I refuse to pick against the Giants. But I feel confident. Uh, you know, can the Giants lose? Of course. Obviously, definitely, maybe. There's a there's a great possibility that they could lose. But, sir, I am as confident as I can be that the Giants are 
completely 100% capable of, of beating the Packers. Now, I'm not saying that the, the Giants are this unstoppable juggernaut. I don't think anybody's an unstoppable juggernaut because, yeah, like, for example, I'm going to pick the Saints, who, you know, blew up in the second quarter and just tore apart the Lions. But the, the 49ers can stop them. The Packers can be stopped. Anybody can be stopped this year. You know, uh, Tim Tebow can go in there, and I'll get to Tebow in a minute. He can go in there, and he can beat uh, Tom Brady and, you know, the Patriots. Sir, anything is possible in the NFL, but the Giants are, are, are they're on a roll, and they're playing their best football of the year when it matters the most, sir. And I think that's something you can't discount. You really can't discount. You're right. I just think that, you know, I, I think that the Packers are going to put up 42 points. I see a final score of like 42 to 28, and I, I don't think it's going to be that close. I think the Giants might score late. I just think that I understand what you're saying, that the Giants are playing right at the right time. I just think the Green Bay Packers have just too many weapons at home. It's going to be just a difficult game for the Giants to win. The only thing I must say is that I don't know how much it's going to weigh on their mind, but do you know that the offensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers lost his son uh, just yesterday, I believe? Yeah, tragic, 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 uh, horrible incident. I wasn't sure if you were going to get into this, but since we're talking about the Packers, I was I was talking to my wife about it yesterday, and, uh, you know, it's an absolute shame what happened, you know. And the, the interest, I mean, sad enough, but, uh, you know, his son was actually charged with some type of, I don't know if it was sexual harassment or, you know, something to that effect, misdemeanor sexual assault. I have my, uh, my you know, producers looking it up right now, but, you know, it's... It's just a shame that things like this happen, and of all the weeks for it, I mean, there's no, there's no time for this to be a good thing. There's no time for anything like this to ever, you know, be a positive or, or happening at the right time. But a week before this huge game, the Packers haven't played in a couple of weeks. I mean, that emotional toll it may have, it may it's definitely to have a toll on some of them. Uh, you know, they may use this momentum to go out there and win for Joe Philbin, who's their offensive coordinator, or they could just. Going to, it's possible that their offense may not click because everybody's got so much on their mind. I mean, there's much more important things than football. So I mean, you know, it's it's just it's a shame. But you know, here we are, and, and this this young man disappeared, and it's just sad. It, it, it's absolutely sad, sir. And I don't know. It, I, I don't even. I wouldn't even imagine that Joe's going to be there. He's in his fifth season as offense coordinator. Um, you know, he has a bunch of other kids, but this is just. You know, this is horrible. I mean, he disappeared. He was out with his friends. He was at the University of Wisconsin, you know, campus. He was about 50 miles south of Green Bay, as I read here. And, you know, they say no foul play is, is uh, suspected, but it's just terrible, sir. It's terrible, terrible tragedy. So definitely our, definitely, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family and to the right. Green Bay Packers organization. So hopefully that won't be um, a big distraction for the team. But, you know, like you said, there are more important things than a football game. But, we will see how that plays out. Are you telling me too, sir? Let me ask you this: Are you telling me that a forty-two to twenty-eight game is going to surprise you if the Giants lose forty-two to twenty-eight? No, no. I, I'll I'll go on record right now and say if it, you know Giants lose by a touchdown or two, I won't be surprised. Uh, but I, I I expect the Giants to win. I hope that they're going to win, and I believe that they can win. So you know, again, I'm going in there believing that my team is going to get the job done. But will it surprise me if they lose? Of course not. This is the package you're talking about. Aaron Rodgers, all world. It's amazing, sir. In in a season where Eli is having his almost like an MVP type of season, he's got two guys playing head and shoulders, uh, you know, light years better than him in Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, and it, and it figures there'd be typical Eli where he has his best his best season of his career, and it's completely dwarfed and overshadowed by the two quarterbacks who are better than him in the NFC. Yeah, and I'm sure all Giant fans and Packer fans will be tuned in Sunday afternoon at 4:30. That's going to be a great day. You know, hopefully. Um, it's a great game. You know, these divisional games are usually as good as any other weekend in football, sir. I mean, Wild Card Weekend was, to be honest with you, um, I, I love Wild Card Weekend, but um, to be, all the games were pretty much duds except for the game that we'll get to probably last. If we look at it chronologically, on Saturday afternoon, we had the Cincinnati Bengals playing the Houston Texans. And, you know, the game was close for the most part, but I don't think Houston ever had, you know, I don't think they had any fear that they were going to lose the game. I mean, Cincinnati played all right, and then Houston just took it to them, and they're going to be facing Baltimore. Did you catch any of that game? No, sir. Saturday and Sunday I was uh, trying to finish moving, and I've actually been doing that uh, the the past few weeks. Uh, actually, no, I'm sorry. Um, what I was doing, sir, what I was doing on Saturday was relaxing here at the house, but I was kind of going back and forth. I saw some of the uh, Saints and, and Lions. That game I did catch quite a bit of it. 
but I wasn't able to uh, to watch the game, uh, unfortunately, sir. And uh, I mean, from what I read, it, I didn't miss much. Yeah, I don't I don't know how that's considered football, and especially in the playoffs. I mean, you had the the New Orleans Saints put up 613 total yards. They put up 45 points. It was just ridiculous what they were doing. I mean, at home. Anybody that plays that team at home, I mean, Drew Brees will cut you up like a knife. I mean, they they were scoring sure. at will. Go ahead. Sure. They went into the second half. I believe it was like fourteen to ten, and the final score. What was the final score? Was it forty-five to twenty-eight? It was something like forty. Yeah, forty-five or forty-nine to twenty-eight. But I lost count too. They basically scored a touchdown on every single possession on in the second half. Sir, I mean, how does that even happen? How, how in the world? 45-28, how do you win by 17 points? Sorry, that game was close. The first half of the game, the Lions were winning. They were playing good football. They were playing winning football. And, yeah, the Saints go in there, they get a field goal to end the half, and then all of a sudden they come out like gangbusters. And before I know it, I had you know, a friend over. We were flipping back and forth. But, sir, before I knew it, I was gone for two minutes, went downstairs, came back. The, the uh, Saints had scored two touchdowns in like the span of three minutes. I literally could not believe it, that you know the, it was that big of a swing. And then just took off. The entire second half was just it was a joke. The Lions just stopped playing for whatever reason. They just, you know, they they forgot that it's a playoffs. Right. So the Saints are in the play, the Saints are into the second round. And I think, sir, this is where it's so important to have that bye week. It's so important to have the home game as many home games as you can in the playoffs because I really think now that the Saints go into San Francisco on Saturday at four thirty, I really think I know you picked the Saints, but. I think with the defense of the San Francisco 49ers playing at home, I really think they're going to keep it close, and you're going to have one of those 17, maybe even 21 to 17 type games because I think San Francisco is going to come up big. The crowd's going to be crazy. I really think they, the San Francisco 49ers are going to advance to the NFC Championship game to play the Packers. Um, I know you picked the Saints, but I just think that when a great defense like the, the Niners have been all year this year, plays a great offense. I, I think that the, the defense is going to win out, especially at home. Um, that's a good point, sir. I mean, I pretty much, just for the sake of uh, disagreeing with you at every turn, I'm picking the Saints. I picked all the opposite teams that you picked, so that is pretty much you know, it is what it is. I, I do think that all of them are capable of winning, but I'm definitely going to pick whoever it is that uh, you know you, you go against, sir. And, um, you know, again, it, it could easily be a nice, low-scoring game, a nice, good, clean football game, a lot of uh, defense. And the, the Niners' defense is, is definitely, I would say, the best that's left. But, sir, Drew Brees, I, he just cannot discount him, sir. There's just no way, shape, or form to sit here and, and to discount the man, the myth, the legend, Drew, the, the shrew, Brees. I mean, with your scenario, sir, the Green Bay, I mean, the, the Giants would be going to play the Saints in New Orleans for the NFC title game. You wouldn't feel comfortable at all if you felt like you got past the Packers and then you got to go play the Saints in New Orleans. Um, I don't know if you, I would still feel comfortable. I think the Giants can beat anybody, but yeah, logically speaking, not using my Giant fan heart, you're right. You cannot, you can't feel great about that. You can't feel the Giants are going to have much of a of a shot to win there. But regardless of what, I still win. See the advantage, I think, sir, in in terms of uh, this game that we're discussing right now with the Saints and the 49ers, is the fact that the Niners are at home, the fact that the Saints are a totally different team on the road than they are in their own building, in the, uh, the Superdome. So there's definitely a good shot. I, I, I'm not sure if you know the line or who's favored or not, but I, I would have to think that if you pick the, the Niners, you, you really can't go wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a close line, believe it or not. I think the, the Saints, actually, I think are favored by two and a half or three points. So, just their offense alone is, you know, making them the favorite, even though they're going to be on the road. So, again, folks, pure goal picks for this week. For the NFC side, I have the Packers versus the, the 49ers in the NFC title game, and DG will go opposite from me, and he'll go with the Saints versus the Giants in the NFC title game. So, looking at, sir. Yep. You look at the AFC side, sir, and um, like I said, the Houston Texans will be playing the Baltimore Ravens, the two seed. On set, on Sunday afternoon at one o'clock, and then the game that probably was the most interesting game of the four because it was down to the wire went into what happened? I said probably it was the only interesting game out of the four. Well, I'm saying if you were a fan of one of the teams, you probably thought that the, if you were a fan of the Saints, you probably loved the Saint game. But I'm just saying as yeah, a fan that didn't have the just football yeah. in general. I mean, it it's not even close. 
the only real good game uh, for for you know most the most part was the Broncos and the and the Pittsburgh uh, Squealers. Right, and pretty much Denver had the lead pretty much the whole game. Pittsburgh at, at the end t- tied the game at the end, took it into overtime. And I, I want to get into this, and then we'll talk about the game too itself. I, I don't think these overtime rules. I don't know if you heard them, but these are new overtime rules are pr- pretty like complex, and I, I don't like them at all. Yeah, break it down for me, sir. Okay, basically, in overtime now with the playoffs, you have well, um, whoever win- whoever wins a coin toss. You know, if you decide to catch the ball first, you get to you know you kick off, get the ball. If you kick a field goal, the other team still has an opportunity to score. If the other team comes back and scores a field goal, then you play sudden death where the next team, you know, basically the next points wins. But if the one team gets the, that gets the ball first, scores a touchdown, the game's over right then and there. That is definitely a little bit confusing. But I guess, you know, because if they sat there and gave the teams back and forth, you could have, you know, four, five, six different scoring drives. So I could understand the fact that they don't want it to win. You know, they don't want it to end with the uh, – the whole purpose of it is so that the game doesn't end without both teams getting the ball, unless, of course, like you said, there's a there's a touchdown. Because for the most right. part, you're playing, and for the most part in overtime, you're playing for the you know 40 yard field goal. Right. What's interesting too is that you're probably playing for the 50 yard field goal in Denver because the air's so thin, and you know right. you really had the Denver Broncos. We were pretty much ripping them all last week, saying how an eight and eight team can host a, a home game. Well, guess what, folks? The eight and eight team beat the the mighty Pittsburgh Steelers, the 12 and 4 Steelers, and you know, I, me being an anti-Steeler fan because I don't really like the Steeler organization, was pretty happy to see that Tim Tebow, on the first play of overtime, was able to win it for them. And you have a bunch of 316 notes. I'd love you to spout off if you can. Yes, of course. And as we all know, Tim Tebow is a born again Christian. He is uh, the man, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, you know, in my heart, I was hoping they'd win, and I kind of I thought that they might, but you know, I did go with the popular pick and pick against them. I know Amory is, is somewhere in a corner crying because of because her beloved Steelers are, you know, were were, were throttled by by Tim Tebow. I'm sure that she is not Tebowing right now, but uh, aside from that, you know, the, you have the fact that he threw for 316 yards, which of course the most famous scripture in the entire Bible, John 3:16, uh, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, so whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life, which is his life verse, the verse that he basically lives his life by. Um, and he threw for 316 yards. The average yards per pass in the game were 31.6, and 31.6 was the final TV quarter rating. I mean, sir, I'm a big numbers guy. Uh, my wife will tell you, but what are the odds of all these different numbers all being 316, 316, 316? And no, it's not Austin 316. We're talking about the original, the only one that matters, John 316. Well, I think Tim Tebow 316 says, I just whipped the Steelers' butt. <laughs> wow, that that was awesome, sir. I hope that this this story continues, and I, honestly, I hope, and I'm going to say pray, but I, I definitely hope that he somehow finds a way to win this Saturday against New England. I want, and I know you're rooting hard for him because you loathe the Patriots. Yep, that's right. We'll talk about that game, and then we'll talk about the other game, which to me is not really a game. But you have the the Denver Broncos coming into New England, and I, I'll be honest with you, if you're the New England Patriots and you saw the end of that game, you are so ecstatic that the Denver Broncos are coming to play you and not the Pittsburgh Steelers because, let's face it, the Pittsburgh Steelers are a good road team, and they really put up a great fight against the Denver Broncos. But, I think the Patriots are licking their chops. The Denver Broncos lost to the Patriots a couple of weeks ago in Denver, 41 to 23, and they made you know Tim Tebow look like a high school quarterback or just somebody that doesn't belong to be you know a quarterback. So, you know, if if somehow Tim Tebow is able to to conjure up some more 316 um, you know lore and magic, uh, I, I'd be all for that, sir. I just I don't see it happening honestly. I see that the Patriots will put up. You know, at home, I think they're going to put up at least 30, 30 to 35 points. The Broncos, I don't think, could keep up with that offense of the Patriots. You know, 35 to 17 sounds about right to me. I think the Patriots go on to the AFC title game to play Baltimore. But before we get into that game, sir, do you think that the Denver Broncos have any shot at all to beat the Patriots in New England? Do I think they have any shot at all? Absolutely, I do. 
I think that Tim Tebow will get the job done and picking and continuing with what I have told you, sir, what I have already stated, I will pick the Broncos to win in a close game, but I pick the Broncos to win and to get the job done, sir, and I think Tebow will will play better than he played the last time he played against the Patriots. I think he's going to come up big, and I think uh, this is going to be uh, 35-28 or 31-28, something to that effect, sir. I believe that the that they will find a way to neutralize Tom Brady, whether it's kicking him in the shins, whether it's beating him with the Bible, and uh, I have the, we have the train passing by the station over here. I mean, uh, unbelievable. I guess all the fans are coming in on the uh, uh, on the DX Express. But uh, aside from that, sir, I do believe you're gonna shove it out. Steelers can win. Yeah. Uh, the Steelers. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry, but the the uh, Patriots can lose, sir. I absolutely believe it. Well, let's hope for that because I mean, nothing in the world would make me happy to see the Patriots lose again at home in the playoffs. And the other game, again, is to me is a non-game. you got the Houston Texans going to Baltimore. I think Baltimore is such a hostile environment to play in Baltimore, especially in the playoffs. That defense is so rabid. They're playing against a rookie quarterback against the Texans. They're going to eat him up. I think the, the, the Ravens are going to put up like 28 points easily. You're, I'm looking at a 28-7 type game or even a 28-3 type game. The Ravens easily win and go face the Patriots. I don't even think you have any input on this game, sir, between the Texans and the Ravens, do you? I think it would be great. I think it would be absolutely great, sir, if it ended up with another 24-2 game. Because of that, I am picking the Texans to upset the Ravens right here, right now, in the playoffs. Playoffs? What are you about? Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? And, and sir, to be honest with you, I think that at the end of this game, I think that the coach of the of the Texans is going to be saying. And that was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. We threw that game. We gave it away by doing that. We gave them the friggin' game. In my opinion, that sucked. I'm pretty sure that's what we're going to be hearing. <laughs> so I'm going to play that uh, up until the Super Bowl is over. You are going to hear that clip about five times every episode. But honestly, um, you know, I'm picking the Texans, but I, I don't think there's any way that they win, sir. Yeah, I agree with you. So your pure goal picks for this divisional round, 2012, you have DG going with, you said the Ravens, right? So. No, 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 uh, the Texans. <laughs> so we're going to go totally opposite, folks. He'll go with the Texans versus the Denver Broncos in the AFC title game, and I'll go with the Patriots versus the Ravens in the AFC title game. So we'll see who wins that little uh, side wager. So it's 10-28, sir, and I think, you know, there's not much else that we could talk about football other than let's enjoy it, especially you as a Giant fan. Let's enjoy the Packer game, and hopefully that these games are more competitive than they were last week. I absolutely agree, and unfortunately, it looks like our first guest will not be calling in. Uh, Jared Bunch, we had him scheduled today, but as we sit here uh, coming up to the 10.30, uh, you know, the the mid-show, as it were, the mid-hour, it looks like Jared is not going to be joining us, but you know what? We were able to talk a lot of football, which, uh, you know, we we were going to do with him anyway, but let's just skip right past that because we have our other guest joining us, and uh, you know she's, she's about uh, two minutes early, which is which is perfect. Just the way that we like it here in PG to be better earlier than late. Uh, we are joined right now, sir. We have had Miss Arizona 2009. We've had Miss Arizona 2010. And both of us love Arizona. I see as we've discussed this ad nauseum off air, the joke, uh, the running joke, but. We're proud and privileged to be joined by Miss Arizona USA. That's right, the third one that we've had in a row, in order as well. Miss Arizona USA 2011, Brittany Dawn Brannon. Brittany, how are you doing this evening? I am doing so well. How are you doing? Doing awesome, doing awesome. It's Dave and Joe here from Pure Gold. Uh, (laughs) Brittany, we thank you so much for joining us. Um, You know, this interview has been. Well, you know, hopefully you'll say the same thing when the interview's over. But uh, <laughs> um, oh gosh, this has been a long time in the making. I, I don't even know. We're probably going back a couple of months because originally, you know, we had Alicia Blanco who was, uh, you know, 2009. Then we had Brittany Bell on. I just figured let's just let's just go around the gamut. Let's go straight through. 
And uh, I found you on Twitter, and I saw you know your your information and everything. And in 2011, I figured it would just be perfect. Um, obviously, we're thankful to have you now. First off, um, you were Miss Arizona USA last year, and as I've mentioned already a couple of times, we had previous winners of, of the same pageant on this show. Do you have any contact with our with our former guests, uh, Alicia Blanco and Brittany Bell? Um, I do. I actually I see them every once in a while. Um, I know they're both out here in LA, actually. During the, I actually live in Malibu right now because I go to school out here, but I know they're here in L.A., and I've seen them, talked to them a little so often, but um, not recently. But I know they're both doing well out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, they were on our show uh, probably a couple of months back, and they were both uh, wonderful guests. Uh, now, Good. moving on from that, l- let me ask you, what made you decide to go out to win this uh, this particular pageant? Is this something you always wanted to do, uh, you know, be a beauty pageant contestant, or was it something that kind of fell into your lap? It was honestly something that kind of God threw into, threw into my lap. I had done ballet from the age of 2 to 18, um, was actually going to move to New York and dance professionally with the American Ballet Theater. Um, but about a oh, month wow. before I was supposed to leave, I had a foot injury, and God kind of directed me a different way. Um, and I found pageantry, and I was actually Miss Teen America in 2007. And then wow. once I got into college, I decided, you know, hey, I'll give the USA system a shot. Um, they actually, believe it or not, competed three times, and I won on my third try. And oh, wow. I, you know, a lot of people are kind of like, oh, you're kind of bummed you didn't win the first two times. But <laughs> really, I just know God's timing is perfect because I grew so much as a person in those first two years. And the third year that I won, it was the time it was meant to be. So it's been a great experience. I could talk for days about it because it has been <laughs> absolutely the best year of my life. That's awesome. Though. That's great to hear. Yeah, that is great to hear. Brittany, tell us what your personal experience was like to you know, to be Miss Arizona. Oh my goodness. You know, I okay, I always say that preparation for something like that comes in two components, especially preparing for state as well as Miss USA and the first is mental and well, the second is physical. And physical shape you have to be in a bikini on stage in front of millions of viewers. I think we had like eleven million viewers on NBC. Um, and then the mental state is that you have to realize that going into a competition, you're with the cream of the crop in the United States. These girls are all go- gorgeous and intelligent and very accomplished. Uh, so you have to realize that only one girl is going to win, and no matter what you do during that weekend or that month that you're competing, you want to walk away with something. Um, so my year as Miss Arizona USA, I volunteered and worked um, extensively with the Wounded Warriors softball team. We played oh, wow. a tournament down in uh, Tucson at U of A in Arizona, which was an absolute blast. And as the organization kind of grew that year, we went over to D.C. and played a game against the Navy guys. It was so much fun, and I had the opportunity to go visit Walter Reed and a lot of the men and women who had recently come over um, from Iraq and Afghanistan. And I actually uh, primarily worked in the amputee section of the hospital so I remember vividly one of my greatest experiences was sitting there talking to this young boy I was sitting on the edge of his bed with his parents and everything and uh, just hearing his story and I asked him you know how long he had been in there and he said about four weeks and then I asked him how old he was and he said 19 and he was actually a triple amputee and I was 22 at the time so realizing that this boy who was three years younger than I was had three limbs missing, yet he was just so, so courageous and so strong. And that was an amazing thing to see. And that was kind of towards the middle of my reign, and it just kind of skyrocketed my reign from there on to just inspire me to help inspire others through whatever outlet God gave me. That is great. I mean, that's yeah. a great um, – that's really great to look up to. You know, Walter Reed, I mean, did you find the experience rewarding – you know, what ways did you find it rewarding? I mean, just explain to the audience. Oh, my goodness. These men, I think what touched me the most uh, was, well, my personal thing that I love doing and my thing that I did uh, a lot with the title was talking to young girls. Uh, I talked to them about purity and going after their goals and leaving the legacy for the eternal kingdom. Wow. And then working with the Wounded Warriors, but also I worked with the Brain Injury Trauma Center. I love working with kids. It's my favorite. And uh, working with the Wounded Warriors, the thing that I remember a lot of them said um, was when we spoke about their experiences and how they got in the situations they were in and they're fighting over there overseas, what all of them said, even though 
100% of them were missing at least one limb was that they would turn around and go back if they were allowed to. Yeah, and it's amazing. such a good reminder that, you know, Christ gave his life for us, but these men, like, despite the fact that they may only have one arm or one leg, they're willing to go back and fight for us. And that's just, oh, my goodness, that feeling is insane. Right. It looks like you already mentioned, because I'm always curious to know, I always want to know, like, what's your favorite part? And it looks like you already mentioned your favorite part of this whole experience, but can you tell us your least favorite part of this experience? Yes, actually. <laughs> and it's it's hard to come by because I honestly did have the absolute best year. The only thing that I think that you would see a negative side on, and I don't think you would see it necessarily unless you were in my position or in a title holder's position, and that is the fact that you do, I always say with great power comes great responsibility. And you do have the responsibility that even though people are going to dislike you, people may cut your personality down and your character and what you look like. And a lot of times these are people who have never met you, which makes it even more ironic. You just have to stay strong and learn to put up with people's words because you're put there for a reason and a purpose. And I think that was probably the most negative thing. I tried, I'm tried. i a pretty optimistic person, so I tried not to let it bother me too much. But there are going to be the people who are against you. And you know that saying, if you don't have enemies, you're not doing something right. Um but that being said, I did have a lot of amazing supporters and people who are with me every step of the way that I was very grateful for. You know, it's funny. You sit here and you mentioned with great power comes great responsibility. Were you purposely quoting uh, Spider-Man here, or were you taking this from the source? <laughs> Perhaps. You never know. No, it's, it's one of my favorite <laughs> quotes, actually. So if, I, yeah. just, I don't know. It's always inspiring. It's a good reminder. Mine, too, from Spider-Man. But, uh, um, <laughs> you know, the... The main thing that gets into because the main thing that caught my attention about you, um, because we've had several guests, many guests actually, who are all Christians, and I find it fascinating that Miss Arizona, four in a row, I think it is, or five in a row, or I, I maybe more, all Christians. So I'm wondering if Arizona is, you know, not only do they make great iced tea, but it's a Christian state. Um, but what really caught my attention was the fact that, you know, believe it or not, is that you're, you're a Ford model, or, you know, you were a Ford model, I'm not sure uh, w- w- which is current. My dad worked yeah. for Ford for 30 years, so in my house, Ford is king. Wow. So please tell us about that whole experience. Wow, that's neat. I actually had always dreamt of being a Ford model. I uh, was with a different agency before, and I had always thought about modeling, but like I said before, I was heavily involved in ballet and devoted most of my time to that. I played violin and piano as well, so I was kind of a renaissance child. Um, And being a foreign model was always a dream, and one day the opportunity presented itself, and it was actually right when ballet started ending, so it was a good transitional time for me. And I'm still with Ford. I still do a little bit of work. I'm currently the face of Chi and Fruit hair products. I'm the face of Ring Cosmetics, and I've modeled for Tony Bowles and Sherry Hill, who have amazing gowns and dresses. And I'm getting a little bit into acting and hosting, so wow. it's kind of just led me into a whole different world, and I absolutely love it and enjoy it. Yeah, you're definitely a, a Renaissance woman. Not only are you know a big Spider-Man fan, but uh, you have all these other things, all these other things going on, you know, which is obviously it's great to hear. Um, you know, another thing that, that caught my attention is one of your Bible verses. First uh, Corinthians 9.25, which says, Everyone who competes yes. in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, or in some vers- versions it's you know perishable or corruptible. Um, but right. we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now, that's a very interesting scripture considering what you do. Uh, tell us a little bit about that verse and why it means so much to you. It's kind of ironic, actually, but you know, please break that down for us. Yeah, that was actually my verse for the past year, and my verse to go along with that is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and it's for another plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and give you a good hope and a future. And Great scripture. The reason First Corinthians nine twenty five has been my verse and it's kind of become my life verse is because I think that no matter what arena you go into life, no matter what job or occupation or situation you find yourself in, there's always going to be competition, and there's always going to be someone bigger and better than you. And that's when that comes along with life in general. But the reason First Corinthians 9.25 is so vitally important and such one to live by is because it's no matter what you do, it's not worth risking your eternal salvation or turning your back on God to get to the top because, you know, the Bible says 
if you may brag me, boast, may it only be in the fact that you have Christ. And I think that if your roots are grounded within uh, God's word and doing everything for the glory of him, um, right. you don't have to be in the spotlight Definitely. because that's all that really matters is doing it for crowns that last. And like I said earlier also is that I, uh, I love talking about leaving a legacy for the eternal kingdom because all these people, I mean, if you're in the public eye, you're going to be criticized head to toe and inside and out. And it's really what you have in your heart that God knows and what you do for that. That's the only thing that's going to matter and that's the only thing that's going to last. So that's really something good to keep in mind no matter what career you have and remembering that God put you in that position for a reason and you wouldn't have had it without him. So use it for his glory. Wow. Well, that's some good stuff there. Good stuff. <laughs> Brittany, can you be, I mean, you mentioned some things that, you know, you have in the works, but can you be a little bit more specific what you do have going on right now for Miss, you know, I have to give you the title of the 2011 Miss Arizona USA. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually passed on my title in November, and currently I will sadly be graduating in April from Pepperdine University. I'm Did you doubling, say sadly? Sadly, yeah, I love going to school. <laughs> Wow. I'm not sure I'm ready to us. enter the real world yet. <laughs> it's kind of scary, not going to lie. <laughs> uh, but I'm graduating in April, and I still have a few more modeling things coming up. I'm also acting a little bit. I uh, shot a promo this summer for the new NBC TV series, Grimm. Oh, and, nice. Yeah, thank you. It was a huge blessing. came out of nowhere, but had a blast. And I'm probably going to stay here in L.A., and kind of venture into the world of hosting and acting, perhaps. So, have to let you know. <laughs> That's definitely some, some wonderful stuff. And, you know, it's interesting because all of our guests, all we've had, there's always something different going on in their lives. Like with Brittany, the other Brittany, uh, Brittany Bell, she ended up, I think, a week after, or maybe two days after she came on our show, she ended up announcing that she was going to be one of the um, one of the Royal Flush Girls on the World Poker Tour. You know, and then, uh, you know, here you are with so many different things that, that you have going on. That That's definitely uh, wonderful that, that you're such a, you're so busy and, you know, hosting and stuff. Maybe you'll, who knows, maybe one day you'll get your own uh, uh, talk show like we do here and you'll, you'll be, uh, you know, breaking it down for us about the ins and outs of the pageant world. Hopefully, that would be a lot of fun. Pageant girls, yeah. I think the reason a lot of people see success with so many pageant girls, I think people tend to assume that it's just because of their looks and, their outward appearance, but truthfully, I just got to stick up for all of us passion girls. We are hard workers, and I think a lot of the girls who compete didn't necessarily win on their first tries, so it taught them perseverance, patience, and persistence. And that's something that you, that's, I think that's primarily the reason you see a lot of successful pageant girls, just because they all have those right. um, character values, which is really cool to see. Well, I can tell you, uh, Joe, if you correct me if I'm wrong, but we had a uh, Miss Texas 2011, Anna Rodriguez, and how many times oh, was it that she Anna. lost? Though? Was it four or five times? I think she, she lost. Competed, she... I think she competed four or five times. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> she's actually I mean, that... a really good friend of mine. I love Anna. Oh, really? She's awesome. Yeah, yeah she's she... phenomenal. She was one of our. Well, I mean, all of you do, but you know that that's kind of that's kind of besides the point. That kind of comes with the territory. But uh, but Anna, or Anna, you know, however you, you'd like to pronounce it, she <laughs> she was on our show for our one year anniversary actually, which is great. She was she was a great guest. But uh, it was interesting with her because we, we asked, and it really caught my eye how she tried out so many different times and ended up, you know, losing. But she was so persistent, and ultimately she won. And that that's the type of victory is something you can never take away from her. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, right. she won. And it's funny because yeah. uh, I've noticed with, with our guests, we've had Miss Pennsylvania, we had Miss New Jersey, we had Miss uh, Miss uh, Oklahoma. We ended up having Miss Michigan, who was also Miss USA. Last year's Miss USA. And of course, all the Miss Arizonas that we've had. But the first like three or four guests that we had all won on their very first try, and the last three or four all tried out like at least three times and, and finally won. So you have the, the the dichotomy between you know first time success and then you know just perseverance. So it's always some some good stuff and great to hear. And you know, Brittany, we we really appreciate you giving us uh, you know so much time. And I know you're out there in LA, so that there's a, there's a time difference, but uh, you know much continued success to you in the future and hopefully if anything else comes your way you, you know you can come back on the show and uh and yeah, share it with the other your gold audience yeah i would love to you guys have been great i'm sorry it took me so long i've just been flying around and going crazy but i really appreciate you having me on as well 
No, we appreciate you, you coming on. Obviously, uh, you know, the fact that you're so busy is a good sign, and it's not like you were just lazy and didn't want to come on. So <laughs> you so have so much going on, and, and you're so busy, and, and we thank you so much for taking some time out with us. Thank you so much. Best wishes with everything. Same to you. You have a wonderful evening. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Take care. Folks, Bye. that was the one and only Brittany Dawn Brannon, another Brittany, another Miss Arizona, 2011. Joe, that was quite the spot, I must admit. Hallelujah. You said very nice. <laughs> Borat agrees. <laughs> so, sir, we've broken down football. We've had the nice and lovely and talented Brittany Dawn Brandon on our show. I think it's only apropos that we end this show in the crapper and talk about some WWE. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, sir. Let's go downtown to Chinatown. You know, um, before we talk WWE, I'd like to talk to touch on something that is wrestling related. Um, We weren't able to touch on this last week, unfortunately, because we were so busy rushing around with the different guests and we had so many people calling in and stuff. But Brock Lesnar, sir, he fought Alistair Overeem a couple weeks back. He lost. The fight was stopped early in the first round, which the reason I hate UFC. But uh, aside from that, it's interesting because one would have to figure this means that sooner or later he's going to be coming back to the WWE. I mean, he's still a young guy, a relatively young guy at 34 years old. And uh, although he's been in the UFC for the past three years, you know, his whole issue with uh, diverticulitis uh, really sabotaged his mixed martial arts career. Brock could have easily been a multiple-time world champion. He could have defended his title for a while. But the the you know the disease that he dealt with really just sucked the life and the, the power out of him. He can easily come back to the squared circle, sir. You know, I would say he could work a half a schedule or whatever type of schedule and make some real money for the company and for himself. Um, do you think, sir? Break this down for me. You know, I can't imagine that he would only do a one-off at WrestleMania, let's say next year. But everybody keeps saying it's just one and done. Um, is it a matter of if he comes back or when he comes back? And do you think that Brock will do one match at next year's Mania? Or will he be on a semi-regular basis? I really think it's gonna. It's really. It's about when he comes back because I believe, even though it's you know UFC and WWE have no, um, you know there's no connection, there's no rivalry, there's no competition. I think there is a no compete clause that Brock is currently on right now or currently in right now. So he'd have to be actually, released. Sir, if I could, if I could, uh, you know, throw that down. Uh, I actually saw an interview, a brief interview on TMZ with Dana White, and Dana White mentioned that Brock could go back to the WWE at any time. So I'm not sure if that was Dana talking crap because he was drunk or that was the truth, but um, I'm pretty sure that no compete clause wouldn't extend to the WWE because they're not in competition. Yeah, I mean, I don't see why Brock wouldn't want to come back. I don't think he left on bad terms. I think Vince loves the big man um, in terms of, like, you know, he's got the build to be a great wrestler. He... I just remember the the one thing I do remember. Yeah, the one thing I remember about Brock is, and I think we were at a show together on Raw, was just watching all those signs that people carried, and like you know, Paul Heyman <laughs> came up with the phrase, you know, the next big thing, and I just remember just seeing a sign, you know, in the audience saying the next big thing is in my son's pants. I, I just I'll never forget that sign uh, at a Raw. So I the, you were the one uh, holding that up. But I could be mistaken about that though. That that was not me, but. Um, yeah, Brock Lesnar, I mean, I would love for him to, to get back and wrestle at WrestleMania, this WrestleMania. I don't know if that's possible, maybe SummerSlam, but having him back, sir, would be a great addition to the WWE, considering that they have such a thin roster. Uh, I mean, I would love it. Especially, yeah, especially in the main event aspect, and he's already an established main eventer, but uh, to correct you, I'm pretty sure he did leave on bad terms with the WWE. But all that, at this point, order under the bridge as he appeared in the, the recent WWE 12 video game. Um, it would be great to see Brock back, and I don't understand why he'd have to wait until next year's WrestleMania. Why not shoot for SummerSlam? Why not give that a main event feel? You know, and I read today online in multiple places that it looks like the WWE is going back to 12 pay-per-views, which is something we've harped on for the longest time, to have less pay-per-views, so that's obviously a huge plus in their direction. I mean, you know, they're going to want to pump up SummerSlam. The last couple of SummerSlams have been huge, so definitely one of the big four, you want that to be a you know, big-time big main event. Yeah, and you are right. He did live on bad terms. I'm so confused nowadays with Vince McMahon. You can never tell who's on the good list, who's on the bad list. And point in cases, last night we basically had the first already uh, in January, which to me boggles my mind, before the Royal Rumble. We already started having our first um, people that were going to be inducted into this year's Hall of Fame, which is on March 31st, the night before WrestleMania. I mean, 
the first inductee for this year that was shown on TV last night is the Ray R Superstar Edge. And to me, sir, it's a, it's a total travesty. Uh, when you have somebody like the Macho Man who just passed away recently, and, you know, he may not have been on, on good terms with Vince McMahon, but for him not to get in before Edge, I mean, you know, you know my take on the whole thing with the whole Coco Beware. So just tell me what you thought about that. Well, my only thing as far as that goes is I've read and I've heard multiple places, and it could be the same source and people just repeating it, but that Randy's wishes were that he would only want to go into the Hall of Fame if his father was also inducted, uh, you know, Angelo Poffo, because he was inducted into the WCW Hall of Fame but not the WWE. And uh, I read somewhere that he, he wanted his brother, uh, Leaping Lanny Poffo, a.k.a. the genius, to be inducted. And truthfully, the genius in no way, shape, or form deserves to be in the WWE Hall of Fame or any. He should be in the Hall of Shame, if anything. But um, if that's what's holding up the Macho Man from being inducted, I guess I could see why the WWE wouldn't want to do it this year. Because if they're going to do all three of them or even two of them, they would probably do that together next year and not take away, you know, from Randy's spotlight, as opposed to lumping him in with Edge, possibly The Rock, as has been rumored, and, of course, uh, the Four Horsemen. We'll get back to that in a second, sir. I totally agree with you, though. This whole Edge thing is ridiculous. Edge just retired, like, less than a year ago, maybe six months, and now they're talking about inducting him into the WWE Hall of Fame. I know the Hall of Fame is not legit. I get all that. I understand all that. I personally think they should make an effort to make it more legit. Let me see what you think about this. They should have at least a three-year waiting period when you retire, and I believe that they should have the, the guys who are already in the Hall of Fame be able to vote on who gets in, you know, the, the guys who are on the ballot, as it were. Uh, you know, Vince wants to talk about legit sports. Make it more legit. Make it more realistic. I think that would be good because the problem with the, the, Hall, of Fame, the Hall of Fame, other than the fact that Coco Beware is in it, which is ridiculous, is the fact that it's basically whoever Vince likes at that moment in that time. I think the whole induction thing is ridiculous, you know. I see on Twitter people saying, calling Kevin Nash Mr. Hall of Fame-bound, Mr. Hall of Fame-bound. you got some people who are, you know, I'm not going to name names or anything. You know, nice people, but really kind of like obsessed with Kevin Nash, how he should be in the Hall of Fame. One of them mentioned, oh, I don't know what the Hall of Fame committee is doing. Why isn't he in? First of all, Kevin Nash is still active, so there's no reason he'd be in the Hall of Fame. And second of all, there is no Hall of Fame committee. The Hall of Fame committee is Vincent Kennedy McMahon and his mirror, because nobody else get, gets a say. But because of that, you have these ridiculous... Uh, things like Edge being in the Hall of Fame. I was talking to Mike Riker today, the producer of uh, Busted Open, and I'm very interested to hear their take tomorrow. But, sir, um, the guys at BL, I'm sure, are, are probably going to agree with us. You know, when Hulk Hogan went in the Hall of Fame, he was still kind of sort of active, but it felt right. When Flair went in, although I didn't necessarily agree with it because he was fighting the next night at WrestleMania, it, it didn't feel wrong. This feels wrong, sir. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You're right, and you talk about legitimizing the Hall of Fame. I agree with you. Have a waiting period, and don't let it just be, and I hate the fact that Vince is the only person that decides this, and he only decides it. If you're on the good list, you're going to get in. If you're on the bad list, you're going to wait forever. So, I mean, it's all over the place. Uh, how does Edge get in before some other people? And you also, I don't know where you found this information. You might as well tell the pure girl audience you heard that. Uh, rumors that Coco, not Coco, but where uh, Yokozuna might be getting into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, actually, Justin Labar is reporting on WrestleZone um, that there's a good chance that Yokozuna will be in. I just don't understand. What? There's no logic to any of these. There's no logic to the way that they, the way that they pick, when they pick, when they put people in. It makes no sense. So I'm not sure how you feel about Yokozuna, but let's talk about the Four Horsemen for a second. First of all, wait, backtrack. If Yokozuna does get in, you're talking Min Mascaras, who's a famous Mexican wrestler, the uncle of Alberto Del Rio, Mexican legend. Fine, somebody foreign, somebody foreign in terms of not WWE. I, you know, they do that every year, so whatever. Then you have somebody like Edge, who you know, wasn't Edge you know, wrestling like six months ago. And then you have the four horsemen out of left field, and when one of them is already in the Hall of Fame and not even with the WWE. And then Yokozuna, like, what is the logic to this class? I mean, they're big names, which is actually interesting. Wait a second. What is the point? You tell me, Mike. What's the point? You're absolutely right, and Mike had to chime in on that one because there is no point. There's no rhyme or reason, and the fact that the Hall of Fame inducts people just because Vince McMahon decides that this person should get in this year, just that that makes it even that much more of a, a joke, to be honest with you. It's not the kind of Hall of Fame that 
you know, us wrestling fans would envision. Uh, it just seems like whoever Vince feels like it at this time of year. And, sir, let me ask you this. Not only did they induct they're inducting Edge and they announced it before the Rumble, but they announced two, well, I can't say two people, but two different um, groups of people going to the Hall of Fame. So they had two on one show last night on Raw. Um, sorry, uh, <laughs> explain that to me, sir. What are you talking about? I'm saying, why not do one a week or one per show? Why are you going to do two? Oh, 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 oh okay. Ju- I thought you meant two groups as in two different factions like the... Like the no. Oh. Uh, you know, they should do sir. They should just induct Evolution also. So you can have Ric Flair inducting two different groups at the same time when he's already in the Hall of Fame. So he can be a three-time Hall of Famer. And then you can have a bunch of other guys who are still active or not active or doing whatever. I agree. It doesn't, sir, they've announced three people, and it's the second week in January. Seriously? There's four, four uh, you know, sorry, four. You have three full months until WrestleMania practically. What are they going to do, not announce anybody for, for six weeks? I remember last year it seemed like they waited forever, and this year it's like they just came out of the gate. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't announce Edge uh, the day after WrestleMania last year. Yeah. Um, uh, watching Raw last night, other than the Hall of Fame things that we just broke down, I just think that Raw was pretty flat again. I think the audience was dead, and I think you'd agree. Um, Chris Jericho came out of the ring, came out to the ring, and looked like he was going to talk again. But this time, sir, he went into full, you know, acting mode and decided to start crying so much that he didn't talk again. So. This might carry on for a bit. Well, let me ask you this. How long do you think it can carry on for? Because I like the fact they did it yesterday. I think it's cool. But, sir, you can't go on, you know, four or five weeks of this where Jericho comes out and doesn't talk because it's going to grow stale. If people aren't already sick of it, they're going to be sick of it by next week. What I would love, if I was a WWE, if I was booking, which, of course, you know, I'm not because it would be good, what I would do is, I would have Jericho come out next week, do something similar, but then say, Welcome to Raw is Jericho! (laughs) Then drop the microphone, then walk out. That, to me, would be like classic heel, classic Jericho, and just something that will kind of wet the fans' whistle because people will sit there on the edge of their seats waiting to hear what Jericho has to say and for him to say something, but something meaningless, and then come back next week. I think... If you're WWE, this, that's the way you should do it, and then the fourth week finally have him talk and say why he's back because I, I don't think you can keep doing this for weeks and weeks. You really can't. Um, other other points about Raw last night, I, and I, I, I'm totally against it. I'm totally against these gimmicky things, and I, I don't like – I mean, you might like it. I, I personally don't like this whole Kane Cena feud. I don't, know, I don't like where it's going. I don't like the fact that Zack Ryder is involved with it. Um, I just think it's it's dumb. I, I – I, you know, I I'm not interested. <laughs> Sir, you tell me where do you think it is going? I, I think that they're gonna fight at the rumble. I think that it's gonna end in a no contest like you said, and then that feud's just gonna drop off because then you gotta start concentrating on, you know, Rock and Cena. Yeah, uh, I agree, sir. I think the problem with this is the fact that uh you you, you know, we mentioned this last week but being painted in the corner, sir, uh, you're being painted into the corner, excuse me, of Roxena, and you can't get away from it, so they, they needed to kill time. So, I mean, you know, it kind of, it is what it is, sir. There, there's no offense or buts about it. I mean, wh- what can we say? I don't dislike it per se. You kind of have to fall either one side or the other. Nobody's nobody's ambivalent towards it. They either love it or hate it, but, you know, we'll see where where that whole thing ends up going. They got Zack Ryder tied in there, so I'm curious as to where that is. I know a bunch of people made a huge, huge, huge uh, deal about the fact that, you know, Zack was changing a tire and this and that and flat, and, you know, Kane was after him and he was had a date with Eve and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't pay that much attention to, to notice that. And, you know, whatever, maybe I'll comment on it next week. Did you see that, sir? I did see that. Uh, I mean, <laughs> what's the point? I wish I had that clip ready. Wait, what is the point? <laughs> um, and finally, sir, as far as Raw goes, I'm going to touch one thing. One thing only, sir. Bruce Clay. <laughs> the Funkasaurus. What <laughs> in the hell? If I had a beep noise, I would play it right now. What in the hell was that? Can you tell me, please, sir? Can you tell me? 
they they decide to bring this guy back and they bring him back as a pimp. Come on. Sir, the, what are they thinking? You know, the Funkasaurus, they killed any chance that he has to be a monster, any possible chance he has to be taken seriously. Even if you're going to make him a face, that's fine. But what they did is ridiculous. This is such a horrible move. They should just release him now and send him to TNA because this was a joke. The crowd was horrible all night, but they were completely 100% dead for this. And I'm listening to Justin's show today. I think Justin needs too many. He's gotten too many chair shots to the head. He loved it. He thought it was great. I know that Josh hated it, and we're gonna have Josh on in a couple of weeks to talk to Royal Rumble. So we'll touch we'll touch on this with him. And Josh agrees with us. So this is a this is the worst booking. As bad as the WWE's booking is, this was unbelievable. You know, as you were telling me this, I mean, the perfect feud would have been to have him come back as a monster, not like the monster came, but I mean, you could set up a great feud between between him and Sheamus, can you? Explain, sir. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to bring him back full, full-fledged heel and not this whole Funkasaurus thing, I mean, you could have definitely put him on SmackDown and have him feud with uh, Sheamus while Randy Orton recovers from his injury. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Um, but Sheamus is in this stupid feud with Jinder Mahal. I just start, you need to explain to me. You need to explain, explain, explain why they did this. You're going to try to explain um, Vince's logic. All I have to say is... <laughs> I think you should have played that four or five more times, sir. Right, definitely. Maybe. But, um, you know, folks, uh, we, you know that, that pretty much puts a nice little wrap on our show. We, we just talked about the slop fest that is the WWE, and uh, that's pretty much all all we have to say about that. Um, sir, I'm not sure if you have anything else you'd like to uh, to touch on. Just one last thing. I mean, last night was the BCS championship game for college football. You had LSU versus Alabama. And, you know, the BCS is now a joke because you basically had a team like LSU beat Alabama early in the season, and Alabama was able to scratch and claw and make their way to the two, basically the second team ranked in the, in the country, and they were able to rematch LSU for the title. And the fact that, you know, LSU won the first game in Alabama, and now last night... Alabama was able to pretty much shut out LSU twenty-one to nothing, um, and you give Alabama the championship. I, I just don't think. I think they need to rethink that kind of stuff because you know basically both teams are one and one against each other. They need to have a rubber match. If if you know if they beat each other once each, I don't see how now all of a sudden Alabama wins this game at the end of the season. Now they're the champions of the whole you know college football. So to me, the BCS is a joke. Maybe somebody will write about an article about that on our site. Yeah, definitely. I think you should write an article about this. So you think they should have a playoff? Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I mean, I know Jim Moore Jr. Joe in Wallington. What's up, Joe? Sorry. <laughs> do, you, do you think that there should be a playoff system, sir? And and would you agree with me on the fact that the the coach of uh, of Alabama would probably uh, – I'm sorry – Alabama won, right? And they they fought LSU. They beat LSU. Right, that's right. And I mean, right. yeah, there should be a playoff. Sir, sir, yeah, sir. The coach of LSU. Do you think he would say this? And that was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. We threw that game. We gave it away by doing that. We gave them the friggin' game. In my opinion, that sucked. <laughs> or do you think? Sorry, let me ask you one last time before you answer the question. Do you think that he would make this type of analogy about what happened uh, to, to his team, or would the Alabama coach say this, sir? Bang, 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 Try and stop it. Bang, bang. Here I come. Bang. Do you want to throw sometimes? Bang. This is the Manny Pacquiao who has dominated boxing for the best. Go ahead, please, sir. The BTS. You make a dog sick. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, so you're saying... Uh, oh, uh, is that all? Is that all? I'm saying the BCS is a joke just like the WWE these days. I agree, sir. And we talked about uh, the Hall of Fame and stuff. I think the only the only thing we, sh- we could say is it's unfortunate this man did not get in.
Sorry, I had to cut that short. But, sir, it's been a great show as always. Wonderful. Amazing. (laughs) We had a great guest. We had a great show. We were able to talk a lot about everything. And this is definitely one of our more complete shows, sir. Uh, Again, thanks so much to Brittany Dunbrand and Miss Arizona USA 2011. I'd like to thank Jared Bunch for not calling in. Because I don't know where, where the hell he was, but apparently he forgot that we had an interview. You know, sir, and this is the first time in the history of PG, and I guess it had to happen sooner or later, that we were stiffed by a guest. Well, it had to be a giant, right? Yeah, well, maybe he's still in mourning over Al Davis, so he completely forgot about what happened. But, sir, True. a pleasure, as always, to do this show with you. Uh, we could have done an entire hour on what we did this morning and the meeting that we, we did, but we're professionals, and we chose not to do that. Um, but, sir... Uh, PG, all day, every day. For those of you out there in Radio Land, make sure you tune in next Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, check out puregoldpg.com for all the great things happening in the world of PG. We're going to have Miss Florida USA 2011, Lisette Garcia, joining us. Um, I think she's going to be, round, at least for now, rounding out our Miss USA pageant contestants. And, of course, tune in Tuesday, 10 p.m., For JB, this is DG of Pure Gold reminding you to always keep it P uh, a G. What's the name of your show? Uh, Pure Gold. Pure Gold. I got two words for you. Pure (laughs) Gold. Good night, everyone.